Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a show lined up for you that I think will uh, help you connect with your health goals in a very unique and uh, very productive way. I've got a special guest joining me. Her name is Christina Wells. She's a physician. She also has her master's degree in public health. Christina, it is great to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Christina, you're in a place in the country where there are actually many Native Americans, but often uh, people don't think of it being a, a hub for uh, Indian country, but you're in one of our largest cities in the country, in the heart of, uh, of Chicago. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you ended up there. Is that uh, the place of your birth, or did you end up there by another route? Yeah, I've actually been in Illinois all my life. I was born here and uh, had all my schooling here. I did leave for a little bit to do my undergraduate at uh, Mizzou in Columbia, Missouri, but came back and uh, have been here since working in an urban setting. So you're doing some exciting work. You're working with underserved populations right there in the city of Chicago and Many of our Native listeners, they may be tuning into this show right now. They're on a reservation. They're listening to a reservation-based station. But uh, we have, as my listenership you know, well knows, thousands upon thousands of Native Americans who are in urban settings, uh, many of them in large cities like Chicago. So as you reach out to people that, uh, well, I know a lot of the population you deal with are individuals who've had challenges. Maybe it's things that have been imposed on them. You're working with their health needs. Was this something that actually inspired you to go into medicine, or is this something that kind of this vision to really give back to your community grew on you as you got your professional training? You know, I think that it's something that's kind of always been in there. You know, I would, I would say that it's probably something that got placed in my heart. But I, um, I didn't always know that I would go into this area. I myself grew up and did not have health insurance. So I utilized the public health system um, when I was growing up. And um, there were a lot of um, times where I didn't have the access to health care. And I think that over time, that did, as I grew into it, um, influence my desire to help people because I could understand what it was like to be a part of an underserved population. I could understand the, um, the lack of access to quality health care. And, um, and then I just, over time, just grew this this overwhelming love to, to help people who are most in need. I so love your story, and I think it's so exciting because so many times when people are thinking about a career in some type of health field, Christina, they'll say, well, you know, that's for people who have a lot of advantages. Uh, I didn't have that. But you're another example of someone who's saying, you know what, 
I had a lot of challenges, uh, even navigating the health system as I was growing up. But now I'm making a difference. I'm helping people who have challenges. And some people who are tuning into the show may have aspirations about a healthcare career. Help us, if you would, Christina, to kind of see through your eyes, because a lot of folks, I don't know if you ever had this sense, but growing up, if you don't seem to have the opportunities, maybe, that someone else, quote, more fortunate has, how did you manage to keep that vision to become a doctor, to get your MD degree? You know, when I was young, um, someone told my mom that I didn't necessarily have the highest IQ, but I had a keen skill in memory Hmm. and I could remember a lot of things. And I think that is what really helped me along the way. Um, And then I started to love the sciences. Neither one of my parents went to college. Wow. My father, he didn't go beyond the eighth grade. But he worked really, really hard and Uh now has become an extremely successful uh, businessman. And I think part of that is that he gave me the drive to be a hard worker so that no matter what struggles I faced, I could see that he overcame them. And so I learned how to be a hard worker. And then my mother was that loving, caring person who really centered me relationship with God. And then, and so she helped me from that aspect to also learn how to care about people. So I didn't have that typical, you know, I'm the first person in my family to be a physician. And uh, I did have an older brother who went to college. um, But I didn't really understand how to navigate the process. And so it was just really determination and hard work and and knowing that no matter what challenges I face, that my destiny was in my own hands. No, it's an exciting story. And I, I love this blend of realizing that there's a creator who has a plan for your life, uh, the supportive family, and then also, you know, your own need to really be focused and determined to work hard. And I know these are, are values that resonate with many, many of my, my listeners throughout Indian country and beyond. Now, you're a person of color, and you know we're hearing a lot, you're a woman. Uh, a lot of uh, what we're hearing, whether we're in Indian country or we're looking at other populations that typically maybe have not had the advantages historically, some people, when they look in the mirror, they say, well, why even try? You know, there's so many strikes against me. Did you ever have that feeling, like even though you had this desire, it just seemed like the, the deck was stacked against you and you were tempted to give up? Yeah, you know, I I made some some of my own mistakes along the way. And I, I think that they've also helped me to grow into the person that I am. I, I had a child after I got out of um, college, my undergrad. And so I, I was faced with, okay, now what am I going to do um, being a single parent? And, but I decided that this was the road I was going to go. And so I just kept going there. And then when I was in medical school, my mother died during my second year of medical school. And, uh, and so, yeah, I I felt as if, you know, I kept facing challenges and challenges. But again, one of the things that I tell my patients now, when they, when they think that, you know, 
oh, you grew up with, you know, this and you had that. I tell them <laughs> that, no, my story is, and there's some things I'm not even sharing here that I went through, but my story is, is not like that. But I determined that my destiny was going to be my destiny and that there, yes, are there struggles? Are there stumbling blocks along the way? Absolutely. But those things make you stronger. Those things give you valid experiences that you can share with other people who may go through those experiences. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I've never, I've never run from a challenge. And so I, it has grown my character. And so I've just, um, I've, I've loved that experience. Well, you are such an inspiration, Christina, and I'm so glad that you were able to pull away from your many duties to join us on today's edition of the show. But we have a lot more to talk about other than just your inspiring story. And I hope those who've been tuning in today have, have caught, I think, just a powerful message because so oftentimes we disqualify ourselves from what the Creator may be calling us to do, what we may sense we have a calling to do. It may seem like, well, how, why, why should I be the one to do this? And just the little you've shared about yourself, I think a lot of people can say, well, this is not the typical medical student. I'll be honest with you. I'm thinking back on my medical training, and I don't think we had a single mother in my medical school class. I mean, this is not the typical trajectory for medical school, and it's just remarkable to see where you've come from and what you're doing right now. So let's talk a bit about uh, that latter topic now, what you're doing right now, because even though you're working in um, a setting where you're helping people with their very basic and, and sometimes very challenging medical needs, um, maybe we should, we should start there. Tell us a little bit about what kind of a program you're working in and, and how that may be different than what some of my listeners might be exposed to, maybe in a tribal health uh, setting or maybe in a, a suburban you know, private practice. So I work in a what's called a federally qualified health center. And, uh, and so these are clinics that are based in areas where there has been historically a lack of access to care. And the purpose is to provide care to communities that are typically underserved. And so I, I work in one of those settings, an urban setting in communities where people otherwise would not have access to care. And um, the, I, I will also say though that the amazing part of where I do work is that we are connected with the university. And so that gives us a little bit of different access versus other places to things like specialty care. So it's mm -hmm. nice that we can, um, in some respects for some patients, not all, but most of them, be able to provide them access to specialty services as well. But it is, it's just, um, it's been very good to be able to, we know that, you know, the communities that, that I serve typically have, um, you know, used places like emergency rooms for care. And so being able to provide them a hub where they can have a primary care um, clinician that can help them to navigate their health needs is really, really important. Now, this is, uh, this is so exciting. And my wife, who's a physician, and 
and uh, myself both, we've had the privilege of working in these, you know, federally qualified health centers. It's really a privilege to work with those uh, populations. And I know many who are tuning in, you know, working in a tribal health center and, and other settings, you know, it's, it's a different population than maybe uh, seen in some, you know, upscale urban area where uh, many physicians are attracted to, you know, with amenities that uh, people think are, are the finer things in life. But we have this privilege of, of working with groups, sometimes in more rural settings, sometimes in the heart of urban centers like uh, you're, you're working in, Christina. Um, we're going to move in this show to talking about a lot of practical lessons, practical things that can help people, regardless of how much they've had access to health care, what experiences they've had. We both have had the privilege of, of seeing people's lives turned around with simple health principles. You also, though, wear another hat, and it's a, it's a role that actually encompasses several states. Uh, this is through um, your work with the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the, in the Lake region. Tell us a little bit about that role. Yeah, I'm the Health Ministries Director for the Lake Region Conference of Seven-Day Adventists. And the Lake Region Conference is a, a entity that is covering churches in five states in the Midwest. And so I have the privilege of being able to promote health and wellness throughout our churches in those states. And uh, it's, it's been very, um, you know, before COVID, we were doing like health fairs and in-person activities and um, barbershop ministries and doing different things. And, but since COVID, we've been shifting our focus and doing some um, virtual meetings and um, still trying to be able to provide practical health information to help people to live through the, these times. We want to talk about some of those uh, specific programs that you've been doing, Christina, and lessons that you've been learning, as well as things that you've been doing in your clinical work. Uh, we are going to be talking about those things in some detail. I'm speaking to Christina Wells. She's a medical doctor and MD. She also has her master's in public health. And we want you to stay by because we've got a lot of practical things that can help you and those you love. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Our show is called American Indian and Alaska Native Living. And we're going to be back with more right after these important announcements. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. 
furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest is Dr. Christina Wells. She has shared with us her amazing journey into medicine and Christina, I know you don't only have the letters MD after your name, but like me, you've also got a master's in public health. Uh, as I deal with people in public health, some of them who've got the MD, MPH, some of them did their MPH first and then the MD, others did it the other way around. How did that process play out for you? You know, when I first got into the program, um, I, I thought that I did it backwards because I did get my MD first. And I was like, why didn't I get this while I was in medical school as some students do? But I realized that I always realized that everything has its perfect timing. Mm -hmm. And so when I got it, you know, I was able to get it at a university where the focus was on nutrition and wellness, which was something that I really, really loved. And um, so I was able to deepen my understanding of nutrition and wellness and be able to take that back to my patient population who was so in desperate need of that. But then to the program, I was also able to bring my knowledge and skills of already working in a public health setting. So it was honestly later in life, but the perfect timing nonetheless. That's great. Well, just for the record, I, I did my MPH the same way. So I already had my MD degree and I was out in the field and I had a similar experience because you're working with patients, you're applying the things that you learned in your public health training with them. And you've really taken that training, that combination of trainings, physician and master's in public health degree, to some exciting uh, heights, if I might say. 
you have done some great uh, programming. I've just been learning about it myself recently, but tell us a little bit about these Saturday afternoon programs that you've been making available to anyone, I mean, worldwide, through the medium of the internet, if you will. Yeah, it was it was really great because I think it was all designed again for me to go down this path because I actually developed these programs as a result of my capstone in my master's in public health um, curriculum. So I developed these programs to go through some basic um, practical tips of how people could stay healthy. And so we went through different laws of health in terms of, and we have it, we were having it every Saturday afternoon um, at a time that would be convenient for people when they didn't have to be engaged in other activities and could listen in. And then we also archived them on our website so they could watch them later. And what I did was just partner with different experts um, in their field and brought them on. And we just talked about topics. They, They talked about different health topics, Uh, One day we had a nutritionist from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine who just broke down what is carbohydrates and proteins and fats Mm -hmm. and help us help people to understand, well, what do you really need, right? And so that was really good because that can be a confusing topic for people. And so we broke that down. And then we also talked about simple, natural things that people could do at home to, to help them with certain ailments. And so we taught, uh, one of our shows, we included women's health. And then on another show, we did men's health issues. And so we're really just trying to come to people in a practical way so that they can know how, you know, being healthy doesn't have to be expensive. Hmm. You don't have to go to some major place you know, and spend thousands and thousands of dollars to be healthy. And that's what I wanted to bring in this is that I want to show the everyday person, how do you be healthy on a budget and with the tools that you have within your reach? This is tremendous. And I know you've seen this not just theoretically work. We want to talk about one of your patients. But before we do that, We've got people interested. They're saying, okay, well, how do we get these programs? Do you have a a website that we can go to to watch the archive programs? Yes, you can either access them through the Lake Region Conference of Seven-Day Adventists website, or you can go to www.lrcsda.com. And uh, actually, that is the website. And you can go there and access the programs, or you can go to the Lake Region Conference YouTube page, and all of the uh, programs are archived there under videos. Okay, so LRC stands for Lake Region Conference, SDA, Seventh-day Adventist. So if I can remember, lrcsda.com. I can just go there and I'll find links that'll take me to all the videos? Yes. That's exciting. Now, you and I were talking off-air, Dr. Wells, about a patient who had a disease that's very common throughout Indian country and throughout the entire world at this point, diabetes. Tell us a little bit about how these powerful lifestyle principles made a difference in that person's life. Yeah, I I wanna first back up before I talk about that patient and talk about the striking things that I've seen with diabetes. Sure, sure. I've seen so many disparities even when I was you know working in the hospital I see so many people coming in with complications of diabetes like 
amputations, um, which has been really disturbing to me. And so that's that when I was doing my master's in public health, a lot of my uh, research was in diabetes because I really wanted to be able to say, how do we help improve outcomes in this chronic disease? And so, you know, I deal with a lot of patients with diabetes. And so I had um, a patient come in and check their, check them and they, and diagnose them with diabetes through a series of blood tests. And I, I told him this, I said, look, I'm going to put you on medication, but I'm also going to tell you what you can do to get rid of this. And so I talked to him about how to eat a plant-based diet. I stressed the importance of beans, beans, and more beans. Uh-huh. And, um, and I also encouraged him to exercise um, to sleep because sleep is also important, something that we miss and talked about, you know, drinking water and sunlight and different things like that. And, uh, and so I said, well, this is what you can do to help. And I sent him on his way with the medication in hand, but also with the tools of how to have a healthy lifestyle. So he came back to me about three months later And I said, well, how are you doing with the medication? How are things going? And the patient said, I never took the medication. I followed all of the instructions that you gave me. I changed my lifestyle. I um, started eating plant-based foods. I um, exercised. He lost like 20 something pounds. Great. He improved his A1C, which is a measure of diabetes, by three whole points. Wow. Uh, which is amazing. It's really, really amazing mm-hmm. and, and reverse his diabetes. Now, this is an exciting story. And I know people throughout Indian country have been catching this vision, other people as well, that diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, in many cases, uh, can be totally reversed. I mean, of course, uh, everybody's different and they're dealing with different challenges. But the basic problem is what we call insulin resistance, and you know, lifestyle helps to lower that insulin resistance, get insulin working better, and it is just uh, remarkable when we see this in patients. So you've been sharing this information, not just with people and video programs with your own patients. You see these programs work. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, when I was, uh, I actually was in practice at the time, but I was working at a, at a hospital, large medical center, doing preventive medicine for them. And they had a residency there and would, uh, of course, train physicians. They bring in, you know, special speakers and all. And I, I remember one of the first lifestyle lectures that I heard, and it was very disappointing. It was on uh, diabetes, and the, this expert had come in from somewhere, and he basically said, you know, diet is powerful in helping diabetes. Exercise is powerful. Uh, those weren't his exact words, but that was the gist of what he was saying. Uh, he spent maybe a few minutes talking about that, and he said, but don't waste your time because patients are not going to change. And then he went on to you know, tell about all the medicines for diabetes. And uh, I found that very disappointing, that kind of cynical outlook. And a lot of doctors still have that outlook. Even some of us who believe, and we've taught a lot of people about healthy lifestyle, you'll, you'll share with many people, they won't make any changes, and then you'll you know, have an experience like you had with that one individual that they just take everything and run with it. What do you have to say to your peers, you know, other physicians, other health educators that say, well, that just doesn't work. You know, you can't 
tell people to change their lifestyle. They just won't do it. Do you have a response for that? I would say education is key. Knowledge is power. And people are always in different stages of change. And to that point too, I had a patient who, you know, I have been telling about lifestyle factors for years. And it wasn't until recently that she decided to make some changes. And she said, I should have listened all along. But the fact was, is that every time I was talking to her, I was planting a seed. I was providing more information. And even if I tell my patients, even if they don't change everything, which most of us don't, right? Right. Making some changes is important. And so I think that's the key. If, if my patient can do something that can improve their health outcomes, I think that's a step in the right direction. This is tremendous, Christina. We do have to step away. I know you've got a lot of other practical insights. You're going to be sharing with us some of those specific things that help to reverse diabetes and help to improve health. You don't want to miss it if you're tuning in today to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. When we come back, we'll also give you that website again where you can take advantage of the free resources that Dr. Wells and her team have pulled together. We'll be back with more after these important announcements. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Christina Wells. We've been talking about some things that can make a huge difference in your health and the health of those that you love. We've been telling you about some resources, some video programs. Christina, the programs we've been talking about, uh, these natural therapies that you've emphasized and different topics, tell us uh, how long a presentation these are. Is it more of a dialogue? Is it more lecture format? Uh, what would we find if we go to your website? So there's um, a combination of, there's about an initial presentation. The presenter will give a, a normal lecture-like presentation. Then the second half of the program 
is a segment where we talk about natural remedies. Um, and then at the end, we, we take questions from the uh, audience members who put their questions in the chat. And so we'll answer those questions, dialogue about those questions. Great, great. And again, the, give us again the website where we can you know, get all these resources. It's www.lrcsda.com. And that will take you to the YouTube page. Okay. Oh, that takes you right to the YouTube page. Well, it takes you to the website that takes you. And then on the website, you can find the YouTube page. Okay. So you're the Health Ministries Director for the Lake Region Conference, LRC. Uh, and this is a division of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So lrcsda.com. So if I remember that, I can get to your website and get to all those programs, correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. We want to talk now about some of these powerful principles. And I think one that we want to hone in on, and you got my interest because of the strong interest and training you have in nutrition. And I'll just tell you right off, Christina, I'm sure you've seen the same thing. A lot of the people that I see with diabetes, they'll come in and they'll say, hey, I got this all figured out. You know, as long as I just eat bacon um, and, uh, and butter, you know, I'm fine. My blood sugar doesn't go up. And they're really afraid of the carbohydrates. Is this um, the message that you're trying to give when you're talking about reversing diabetes? Yeah, I think what I'm trying to do is help people to to understand and debunk some of the myths that have been out there. You know, we've we've seen in a lot in research now is that eating all those fats actually contributes to insulin resistance mm -hmm. and can make it much more challenging to manage diabetes. You know, I tell people there's a difference between a donut and an apple. You know, a donut is a simple sugar and, uh, and it's not going to have any nutrients in it. But an apple, because it has fiber and other phytonutrients as a whole food, it is going to help you to stabilize your blood sugars in ways that a donut wouldn't. Actually, the opposite of what a donut would do. And so really helping people to understand that there are differences between good carbohydrates and bad carbohydrates. And if you stick with those that are high in fiber, you'll have better control of your diabetes, which is why I always tell people too about beans, you know, eating more beans, not only are they a good source of fiber, but a good source of protein and other phytonutrients. So really trying to help people to understand what are healthy foods? Because many times people are eating the wrong foods and avoiding the good foods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I mean, this is such a powerful message. I know uh, one of my big messages when I'm working with someone with diabetes is check those blood sugars. And I'm sure you have the same experience, Christina. In fact, I was just dealing with a patient this week and this woman said, well, I just hate to stick myself. Uh, you know, well, when did you last check your blood sugar? Oh, you know, maybe a week or two ago. And a lot of these folks, they don't have good blood sugar control. And so we try to give them this message, right? If you check your blood sugar before you eat, then a couple hours after your meal, then you can see what that meal is doing to your blood sugar. So yeah, that's so critical. And once they start to do that, then they can see, yes, the donut is having a different effect than the apple. But the ironic thing, even when they get to doing that, sometimes they get fooled because they'll say, hey, I just sat down and ate five pieces of bacon. My blood sugar stayed stable. 
uh, two hours later. But when I sat down and I ate the uh, whole grain bread with some peanut butter and the apple, my blood sugar went up. So how do you explain that one, that the actual healthy foods in the long term may raise the sugar some and some of the foods that are unhealthy in the long term for your diabetes, your sugars may stay stable because that's a tough one for people to comprehend. Yeah, I think that can be that can be challenging and, and hard for people to understand. I think when you're thinking about the those fatty foods, many of them are processed. And so not only are they is the fat in them gonna make your body's own insulin not work well, but they also cause inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. And that inflammatory response will also contribute to the progression of disease. The other thing is that, you know, without going too technical, there are substances in fiber rich foods like short chain fatty acids and other things. And these substances are just really, really awesome for helping to help our gut be healthy so that we can digest foods better, help to uh, fight against inflammation and help our blood sugars on the long term, stay more stabilized. Yeah, this is such an important message. I'm glad you've highlighted that. And yeah, I think that's one of the ironies about fiber, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned the short chain fatty acids that, you know, are made as the, my understanding is that the fiber is digested, if you will, by the bacteria in the colon, for example. So people are saying, well, why would I eat something that has no nutritional value if it's just going through me? But as you pointed out, It's actually nourishing the cells in the gut. It's affecting the so-called microbiome that we're learning has so much to do with with overall health. You know, just as an aside, a lot of the folks that I'm sure you see, like those that I see with diabetes, also have high blood pressure. And I was looking not all that long ago at a study looking at what happens when we improve the microbiome, the gut flora in people with high blood pressure. Give them probiotics, for example, can actually lower their blood pressure. So, you know, some pretty interesting stuff that's happening from things that we might say are not conventional, uh, you know, we call them macronutrients, you know, the carbohydrates and fats and proteins and all, but these other important properties in plant foods. What other things have you found, uh, Dr. Wells, that help your patients when they're kind of struggling there? You're telling them about the benefits of eating more plant foods, and they're having a hard time really kind of buying in and putting it into practice. Well, I think most people wonder about how will it taste or they think that it's very expensive. And I say, well, I'm not asking you to buy some processed veggie burger. I'm talking about things like brown rice, vegetables, fruits, beans. And most of these things you can obtain for a relatively inexpensive price. So I try to make it practical to them. I also, what, one of the things I, I really think is important is I try to see what they're eating now. You know, what is, what is familiar to them? What is, um, what is, what's part of their culture? And I try to say, well, how can we just make what you're eating healthier? You know, how can we take what you're, are there things that we need to completely eliminate? Yes, there may be. But there may be some things that we can just modify so that you don't have to completely give away, give up, give up foods that you're familiar with. And so Mm -hmm. the key is trying to understand what people are already doing and making modifications there 
versus giving them some completely new thing that may be unfamiliar to them and may seem challenging to them. No, this is so practical. And I, I love this messaging. I, we talked about this on one of our recent shows. I had some guests who were working with uh, actually a population in the Caribbean and talking about how they were adapting you know, recipes to the local diet. And I shared a story from some years back where I had the privilege of working uh, with a, a young lady, Lakota woman, on the Pine Ridge uh, Reservation. And really, it was amazing because she looked at these healthy food options, and then she walked into the store that local folks had access to and said, well, yeah, they don't have these ingredients. What can I substitute that can keep this healthy but can just use you know, either the commodity foods that were available or other food sources that were available there locally? And that's just a powerful concept when you get close to people, find out what their preferences are, what's available to them, and then make it uh, something that they can really put into practice. So I just so appreciate uh, you know, that talent that the creator's given you, Christina, of making things practical, sometimes to people who don't really have a lot of education as far as health things. So let's talk just a little bit more about um, some of the programming that you've done. One of the things I know that you've done a whole series with is something we have talked in the past about on American Indian living, uh, and then our more recent version of the show we call American Indian and Alaska Native Living. But we've featured over the years, some 20 years we've been doing the program, these so-called eight laws of health. And just like throughout Indian country, there's you know three sisters, and uh, we talk about dietary choices. There's Many tribes have some common roots. This, there's this common thought about eight laws of health that I've found in a lot of... Um, a lot of communities that especially are faith-based, especially looking at, we might say, Bible health principles, tell us what these eight laws of health are as you articulate them, uh, Dr. Wells, and then what you've done to illustrate those and make them practical for people. Yeah, I once had someone who made me a flyer, and they put it like this. The eight laws are the doctors who make house calls. Hmm. And so these are things and principles that we can find in our everyday living around us that can help us to have healthier lives. And so these eight laws of health would be nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, air, temperance, rest. Uh, did I forget one? Um, and then trust, right? Trust, and trust right. yes, mm -hmm. yes, trust the most important one. And so what we did was we started with trust and we worked that as our foundation. And then we did a program that basically um, addressed all of these eight laws of health. As I mentioned, probably previously, you know, we, we speak, you hear a lot about things like nutrition and, um, and exercise, but really understanding the importance of sleep mm. and how when you don't sleep, that increases your risk for chronic diseases like diabetes and hypertension. It increases your risk for mental health disorders like stress and anxiety and depression. And so really helping people to understand how um, all of these factors come into play. How, how can walking outside in fresh air and sunlight improve your mood? help you sleep better at night, help you manage your weight better. And so we sought to be able to help people to understand these practical tips 
that maybe they weren't familiar with before. Well, Christina, you have done uh, such a great job, you and your team, pulling together these resources. Again, they're available at your website. And if I've got it right, it's lrcsda.com, correct? Yes. And so we invite you, if you're tuning into today's show, check out some of those uh, great educational resources, LRC for Lake Region Conference, SDA for SeventhDayAdvents.com. In addition to being a practicing clinician, a, a physician, Dr. Christina Wells is also the health director for the Lake Region Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to come back with some final insights from Dr. Wells and some things that uh, we're going to try to give you that can help you maybe uh, turn the corner on some health issues that you've been challenged with. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. Wells and I will be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back for a final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Christina Wells. Christina, we have been talking about some of the great resources you've pulled together, as well as the wealth of experience that you've had as a physician and a public health educator, especially in the areas of nutrition. 
One of the things that we touched on in that last segment as we were speaking about that new start acronym, I know Weimar Institute out in California has made that popular, but uh, those eight doctors have been talked about long before Weimar ever tried to summarize them with that new start mnemonic. You have um, told us in the last segment that one of the important things that we need to pay attention to is sleep. And one of the challenges I've seen as a physician, in fact, I was just dealing with someone yesterday, they were saying in so many words, well, yeah, they know how important sleep is, but they have insomnia, they have trouble sleeping. So what do you do as a physician when someone tells you, yeah, I, I want to sleep, but I'm not doing very well? Do you have any pointers that you give them? A um, couple things that I would try to tell them is, you know, have a regular sleep schedule and make sure you're going to bed around the same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning. I also, again, encourage them to exercise so that they can help their body produce its own natural melatonin so that they can also sleep better at night. Other things I tell them is don't eat big meals late at night because when you're eating late at night and you go to sleep, that it can make it um, either harder to go to sleep or it can make you wake up and so it can disturb sleep throughout the night. Um, get rid of distractions. You know, many of us are have our devices late at night and we're falling asleep with them in our hands or falling asleep with the television on. And so getting rid of those distractions that may also prevent us from going to sleep and doing something relaxing so that you can calm the body and the mind down prior to going to sleep. And then if there are other challenges, then speaking with your health provider, you know, maybe there are other things that you may be dealing with that may be preventing you, stressors and things that may be preventing you from going to sleep and understanding that it's okay. As I mentioned earlier, we all go through challenges. It's okay to reach out to someone and talk about those things. Tremendous, Christina. Those are just some really practical pointers. I love that messaging because so many people just carry the waking activities right up to the moment of bedtime, and then they're wondering why they can't fall asleep. I mean, that's just so important to have that space, that distance, wind down, and then try to get some good sleep. Well, you and I have been talking about some ways that we can partner together. Right now, I'm based in northern Indiana, so just a couple uh, hours from you, uh, give or take. And we've been talking about some just networking. You're joining me on American Indian and Alaska Native Living to record a radio show. And you and I have been talking about maybe doing some programming together as part of your Saturday afternoon series. So I'm still kind of learning what your expectations are. So maybe you can bring me up to speed and we can let our listeners know because they may want to jump on and, and join us for that. Well, yeah, you will be joining us on uh, April 30th where we're going to be discussing um, how to, uh, how to, to, it's discussing that Methuselah factor. Maybe you can give us a, a few tips on that Methuselah factor, how it will improve our lives and help to reduce our risk for chronic disease. So what are you planning to share about the Methuselah factor with us? Well, first of all, I was excited when you reached out to me, Christina, and was excited about what we've been doing with what I call the Methuselah Factor. If uh, you're a regular listener on this show, you've, you've heard me speak about this, but it's the idea of optimizing our, we call it hemorrheology in medical circles. It has to do with blood fluidity. How can we help our circulation, our microcirculation? And we find that when you do that, the research shows you do everything from improving your blood pressure to 
helping you avoid diabetic complications. You improve your mental and your physical performance. Uh, it's really amazing. It's, it's not just for, for older folks or folks who are sick. They've actually shown if this Methuselah factor, this hemorrheology, this blood fluidity can be improved in athletes, their physical performance improves. So we're talking about things that can help people live better, live healthier, can help you trim down if you've been putting on weight. So it's a real exciting topic. And what we've done, Christina, in, in my book called The Methuselah Factor is we've basically given people a 30-day program where they can do simple things that can improve their microcirculation. And we've had all kinds of uh, exciting stories about people getting help from their diabetes, their high blood pressure, losing weight as they put those principles into practice. So I'm excited. We'll be talking about that, kind of giving people uh, more of an idea of why this is important and things they can do to improve their circulatory health. Yeah, you know, once um, I was watching you on a program once, this was um, maybe a couple of years ago, and you were speaking about the substances that are present in food that are mimicked in medications for hypertension. Mm -hmm. And it really piqued my interest. And so I'm hoping that you're going to discuss some of that as well to help us to understand how food can be our medicine. No, that's an exciting topic. So we first covered that in some detail in our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And we looked at this very important hormonal system in the body, this renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. I mean, our, our listeners might be, you know, their eyes might be a little bit crossed, but a lot of our listeners, if they're on blood pressure medications, they're taking drugs that impact this complex hormonal system. And I was just really shocked when I was diving into this to see that the creator had put these ACE inhibitory compounds in natural plant foods. Yeah, so we'll be able to talk about some of the, the many plant foods that have uh, compounds like that that can help us with our blood pressure, our diabetes. It's just a really exciting topic. And it, you know, for Native American listeners and viewers, they get excited because they say, well, this is what we grew up with. I mean, this is what our elders taught us. I mean, they lived close to the land. They ate a lot of these plant-based foods. And yeah, they may have had some wild game or some fish or something as well, but they were largely, if you look at a lot of the tribes throughout North America, if you look at their oral traditions and what's been documented, they really were largely plant-based, many of the tribes. They had a strong either agricultural base or just knowing what foods were in their environment uh, that they could utilize. So just powerful stuff as far as helping us with uh, really the avoidance of chronic disease, but also maximizing our performance. So we're doing that April 30th, right? Yes, definitely. Looking forward to that. Now, do people go to the same website that we've been giving out? If they go to that lrcsda.com, can they watch the program there? Can they connect there? Or do they have to do something different? They can actually go to the, it's for that program. If you want to watch it live, it'll be lrcsda.com forward slash live if you're watching it live. But again, all of the videos are archived on the Lake Region Conference um, YouTube page. And there are, I will say there are other videos there. So you'll have to navigate through the video section because there are other programs that are on that website. It's not just our programs. Um, there, there are programs for all of the conference. So if you just scroll through, you'll be able to find the health programs on there. 
Okay. So it's not like there's a playlist or something for the health programs. It's not a specific playlist for the health programs. It's a playlist for all of the programs. So like our schools, our churches. So you okay. you will have to scroll through all of those to find. Um, and it's, it's listed by really dates. Okay. So when are we doing our show on the April 30th? Just to make sure I've got it on my schedule. And uh, if anyone wants to tune in, they know where to find us. It's going to be April 30th at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Okay, and we're talking April 30, 2022. Yes. 3 p.m. Central Time, so that'd be, what, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. And folks can go to lrcsda.com slash... Forward slash... Live? Live. Okay, so I know where to get there, and uh, hopefully we'll have some of our uh, folks join us. And you're going to be not only giving me an opportunity to speak, we'll be interacting, we'll be taking questions. Isn't that all on the agenda? Yeah, we definitely want to make it interactive because the audience is what makes the show. And so we want to be able to answer those burning questions that people have. You know, these programs are designed to be for our audience members to help them navigate the challenges they are experiencing, the questions they may have. And so it's driven by what they need. Christina, you have been an inspiration, just your whole life story. And I know we, we've just heard a, a little bit of it, but uh, if you've been listening to the show and you didn't hear the very first part of it, Dr. Christina Wells, an amazing story of how the creator led her into a medical career and the difference she's making. And then really sharing these, uh, these great resources with us on the Lake Region Conference uh, SDA website. So again, lrcsda.com. Like uh, Dr. Wells mentioned, if you want to join us April 30th, 2022 at 3 p.m. Central, plan is for me to join uh, Christina and her team, talk about um, how you can improve your circulatory health and allow you to interact with us. Christina, as we wind up, um, any final messages for our listeners? Um, I'm just uh, thankful that you invited me on here today and just want people to understand that, you know, being healthy is a journey. Take it step by step but take a step. Tremendous. Thank you, Dr. Wells. Well, for all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio.